You're listening to Marismus. This podcast was created for people just like you who share a strong curiosity about the world and have questions about life that often go unasked. Marismus is a laboratory dedicated to exploring dangerous topics and entertaining some serious and strange ideas. Over the next few minutes, you are invited to listen in on a discussion between friends involving a provocative subject that you are unlikely to hear anywhere else. All we've got is a blue microphone, three chords, and the truth. The rest is up to you. Now, if you're ready, then let's go. Good morning. How are you? What's going on, Lim? I haven't seen you in a while. It has been a minute, but now that we're back here in the bunker, um, have you got anything you want to talk about? Well, I don't even know what to call this. Um, you know, I hate to just say podcast 14. You know, one of the coolest things that I always remember this is, uh, do you remember the music group Yes? I do. Well, whenever I can't say yes because well, of yeah. course, but uh, when they were putting together their 1983 album that had the owner of a lonely heart and it can happen, everything like that, they couldn't come up with a name for the deal, and so the number that was assigned to them became the name of the album 90125. Oh, okay. So I just I don't just say call this podcast 14 or 90125. Maybe maybe Noah Rants <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. All right. Well, we've had a few of those. It it's always appreciated. But uh, I think there's going to be back and forth on this. I think there's going to be a lot of me, and then there's a, a lot of you fill-in section, and then we'll finish with a lot of me. Okay. All right. So where do they get a load of me, right? <laughs> I have to say, um, I've been conducting a lot of research, and I'm beginning to no longer believe I'm a conspiracy theorist. You're not? No, simply because just I'm about out of conspiracies to prove. Because uh, they're all true? Because they are all true. Yeah. As we discussed, you know, and regarding Alan Dulles, there's a group of people we referred to that I believe I have been pulling strings for nearly the last hundred years. I made a mistake in the Alan Dulles podcast. Okay. I underestimated how far back it needed to go. Oh, well, fess up. Yeah, absolutely. Our our topic today is not one that I want to take lightly, and I can guarantee this will be our longest podcast. And hopefully it does not too much to edit, but I hope that one does not get too bored or lost along the way, but I got to build on that main topic because the past is related to our future. I believe somebody once said time is a flat circle. Somebody did. The group of people I'm referring to is the military industrial complex. And we know we've talked about them before. When do you think that that began? I know that Dwight Eisenhower warned people in his farewell address. Right. Um, But it was, I mean, we had just fought World War II. Um, We were, what, was that Korea also? Yes. Okay, so we, we were already three solid world wars deep. At that mm-hmm. point, um, I'm thinking maybe it had been prior to that. Well, here is where I can, I think that the origin story, for lack of a better phrase, begins. I'm convinced that it began in the run up to the 1944 election between Franklin Roosevelt and Thomas Dewey. Okay. It's not the election overall because it was a foregone conclusion that FDR was going to be reelected. In fact, he, uh, Roosevelt would go on and defeat Dewey by a margin of 432 electoral votes in 36 states to Dewey's 99 electoral votes from set 12 states. Good Lord. It just, I mean, this was Nixonian or Reagan-esque, you know, in the landslide here. Roosevelt's vice president at that time was Henry Wallace, but Wallace was shoved aside for Harry Truman. And to set the stage for this, here are the allied leaders. I'm going to go all around the world before I get 
to where I'm at, but it, I promise that all this will tie together. Winston Churchill is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Roosevelt's from the United States, Joseph Stalin from the USSR. They all had periodic meetings through World War II. They met as the Big Three first under the code name Eureka, late November to early December in 1943 in Tehran. They met again at Yalta, codenamed Argonaut, in February of 1945. Roosevelt saw Russia as an ally and completely trusted in Stalin. And the, his own thoughts on Stalin were that Stalin had always strictly adhered to every agreement. It's like, I don't know if, if Roosevelt was just separating what was going on with Stalin killing his own people or whatever, but it, it, it's kind of like the businessman that always agrees, you know, and we have a deal no matter what's going on behind the scenes or anything like that, you and I's deal goes through. Yeah. And so board, I think that... The board member that always approves the expenditures. Yes, pretty much. And so at the conclusion of World War II, Roosevelt had planned to help Stalin and Russia get back on its feet. Obviously, you know, they had a good long slugfest with the Nazis, you know, heading into Stalingrad and things like that. Right. This didn't go over well with the military industrial complex, which had become insanely rich through our war production. The military-industrial complex wanted to continue to have the gravy train flowing after the war. Why not? Their only problem would be that they needed an enemy to present to the American people, the Russians, thus giving birth to the idea of a Cold War. The military-industrial complex knew there was no way that they were going to unseat Roosevelt in the 1944 election, as I mentioned earlier. But they had one thing on their side, Roosevelt's failing health. It was clear to most people that he would not survive a fourth term, even though they were going to vote for him. Therefore, they needed to find someone that would represent their interests and would certainly become the next president of the United States. Quick aside here, this is why I think you're seeing all of the surge with Nikki Haley and all the good positive stories about her. She is the military-industrial complex candidate. Correct. I mean, granted, I, I'm not sure who I want. I mean, I liked Ramaswamy. Um, I can't in good conscience even consider voting for Biden or whoever they're going to put up there. For that, because I mean, I look at the way the economy is, I look at the way the border is and other things. Yeah. But I mean, I, I just look at the way that every single time KGP or anybody else representing Biden stands up and lies bald oh, faced absolutely. to the United States public. That, that, that Even the, the BLS statistics that come out are the most fanciful. Did you see yesterday's jobs report? I did. I did. It's like they're not even trying no. anymore to make it look plausible. I mean, for every January for the last... I don't know, since they've been keeping statistics, there's been a loss of jobs, and all of a sudden we have a print of 380,000 jobs? No way. D no. No way. 100%. I saw Zero Hedge uh, post on Twitter or X that it j just a long list of companies that had layoffs in the 30 mm -hmm. to 35 percent range, yes. and there's, there no, there's no way. There's no way that number is true, and they will revise it down. Oh, in 90 days? Mm -hmm. Anyway, back to this. Henry Wallace stood in the way of that. Now, to give you a little background on Henry Wallace, he was very liberal, but he was very popular and he was an extremely peace-minded man. Roosevelt even sent an open letter to the Democratic National Convention advocating for Wallace, but we all know how sleazy backroom politics works. And hey, what do you know? Truman won the election for VP. Henry Wallace was not acceptable simply because he represented the interests of the American people. Now, I want, I want to caveat one thing here. Liberal in that time set does not mean the same thing as what we have it mean now. Because I think now when you say the word liberal, you've got blue hair and completely extreme, right. far, far left politics. So maybe for the sake of this conversation, we're going to use liberal in its original definition. Yeah. And, I would, to, to, and for that to, to work in this case, I would say that it would be a very moderate 
a, a, a thoughtful type mm-hmm. person is like, oh, hey, what are, have we considered all of all things with this? Mm-hmm. Oliver Stone in his series, The Untold History of the United States, discusses this. It was such a hot topic that the series was banned from most major streaming portals years ago. If you can find this, it's well worth the watch. What's it called again? Oliver Stone's The Untold History of the United States. Okay. If Henry Wallace had ascended to the presidency, it's certain that the atomic bombs would not have been used. Guaranteed. The lie that we have always been told is that it was necessary to use nuclear weapons to save countless lives that would have been lost in the invasion of Japan. Because they never would have quit. That's That's what what we were told. That's what we're told. Mm -hmm. No, the dropping of the atomic bombs was nothing more than a marketing campaign at the expense of nearly 200,000 mostly civilian victims. Because the Cold War was only cold for the USSR and the USA. If the atomic bombs are not used, it is likely that a respectful and cooperative relationship would continue after the war. No proxy wars in Korea or Vietnam. Hmm. Here's an interesting fact for you. You already know this. I know you know this, but maybe not to this point. Do you know the United States has initiated 201 of the 248 conflicts between 1945 and 2001? I'll tell you, it doesn't surprise me at all. That's 81% if you're keeping score. So so the United States is responsible for 81% of the conflicts in the world since World War II? Yes, we are the belligerent. Yep. We're the good guys. Here is uh, where I need to admit, as I said earlier, that our podcast around Alan Dulles, I was wrong about some things, mainly what is the motivation and of what the motivation was and things. It all ties in with the military industrial complex. The American people bought all of the propaganda being spit out by the press and the government, and they didn't want or even need someone of Joseph Goebbels' stature to make it believable. That's what gets me. Hmm. They whipped up Pearl Harbor and did everything to poison the well against the Japanese, even to the point of rounding up American citizens and putting them in concentration camps. Hmm. Then it became necessary to end the war by using atomic weapons. But it was not about saving lives. It was completely about who would be the undisputed boss of the world. We think stupidly, mind you, that we have certain inalienable rights. These rights seem fundamentally constitutional, but let's be honest. They can be taken away at any time and really have no more value than that of a membership to a country club. Hmm. Everyone is likely thinking, well, Noah, that happened in the 1940s. It had to happen to make sure that we beat the evil Japanese and the Nazis. Most of us were born well after the 1940s. Hmm. What did we need for us to get collectively swept up again? Oh, yeah. Our own Pearl Harbor moment. September 11th. Hmm. Those that are older know where they were when the JFK assassination happened. Similar for the moon landing. For our generation, it is 11 September. I can easily say that the few events of our lives that was very formative. Obviously, you remember where you were. I do. Individually, a marriage or a birth of a child are up there. But on the world stage, this was seismic. Mm -hmm. The consequences and changes due to 11 September were more than simply dramatic. The entire world placed New York in focus and demanded explanations and had to know the culprits. Amazingly, this happened within hours. Human emotion is a strange thing, and the collective reaction to all this was not questioned, or even questionable. Everyone was almost breathing a bit of relief once we knew who the culprit so quickly. Because if you know who did it, then you know what to do. We had solutions to this problem in such a short period of time that no one was even able to ask, how is this even possible? Right. There was no stopping to analyze or even critically assess the situation. One of the fun solutions that quickly found its way to the forefront was the Patriot Act. Yeah. Okay. 
What an absolute piece of garbage legislation this was and is. It's a 342-page monstrosity that was somehow compiled and submitted to Congress within a week of the attacks. Right, right, because it's easy to write 342 pages of coherent legislation in a week. Of course. The ironic title of the Patriot Act reads... Preserving life and liberty. My ass. <laughs> this allowed unprecedented surveillance of American citizens and individuals around the world without having any respect to traditional guarantees of civil liberties. It was a pretty clear sign there were some folks who were a little too well prepared for this event. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt this bill was fully written sitting in a file folder waiting for someone to hit print. September 20, 2001, President Bush gives an incendiary speech in preparation for the coming wars. This speech was not addressed to the American people, but to the whole world. You remember this? I do. Bush demanded that every country support the fight against terrorists and every suspect be handed over to the USA, that all means be used to destroy terrorists worldwide. He was referring not only to Al-Qaeda, which, by the way, never claimed responsibility for the attack. Interesting. But to all terrorist organizations in the world in every country. It's on YouTube. I highly recommend that everyone take time to watch it. Pay particular attention at the 1844 mark when Bush drops his money line. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. Uh-huh. <laughs> the gauntlet is thrown down. Every country which would not support the total war of the United States against everyone, whom the USA considered as terrorists, would become terrorists themselves and thus a target of the USA. Think about that for a moment. So... What he is essentially saying is, we decide who the terrorists are. Mm -hmm. All of you that don't support us in our military industrial effort will then become a target. Yes. And we will systematically take you out. We've because, got... I mean, you're, you're no better than them. That's right. We just, we just made a list of folks, and mm -hmm. it's a long one, and this should keep us busy for a while. Yeah. Hmm. Honestly, looking back on this, it is almost vomit-inducing. Congress applauded like obedient lapdogs. Bush's speech was constantly interrupted by standing ovations. Most Americans do not have German as a second language. I do. The only time I have seen something similar to this is to browse back to Adolf Hitler's speeches to observe such an undignified spectacle. Undignified because on one hand thousands of people had perished days earlier, and on the other hand nothing less than a bloodbath was announced around the world. Mm. In September of 2000, there was a neoconservative think tank called Project for the New American Century. They published a white paper detailed guide on how the U.S. could reassert its power around the world and especially in the Middle East. The co-signers of this paper were some familiar names. Okay. Dick Cheney, oh. Paul Wolfowitz, Jeb Bush, Louis Scooter Libby. All of these men would hold leadership positions in 2001. The title of this paper was Rebuilding America's Defense, Strategy, Forces, and Resources for a New Century. If you do some digging, you can find it online. I actually happen to have a copy with me right now. Now, one of the things that happens is there are independent groups outside of the government that do military assessments and state of readiness issues on things. You know, you kind of want an outside observer coming in. So some business companies do this and... Right. and, and you know, you, you bring in somebody to say, hey, what can we do to, you know, consultants or whatever like that. So I have no issue on the surface with this. Right. I mean, you'd think that uh, something as important as national governance would have sure. contingency plans ready to go. Absolutely. There would be somebody with a brain thinking about what happens if X or what happens if Y, and then they would come up with a strategy to solve mm -hmm. that problem. 
In a discussion about the United States state of readiness and the budget, something remarkable is stated. Page 50 and 51, there is this following statement. A transformation strategy that solely pursued capabilities for projecting force for the United States, for example, and sacrificed forward basing and presence would be at odds with a larger American policy goals that would trouble American allies. Further, the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic or catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. Huh. That's in the that's in the paper. Absent that event. Yeah. One aside. You know who else was, was called for in this paper? You made fun of it in the Alan Dulles podcast as well. I did? A space force is called out by in this paper. Really? On page Roman numeral five, there is a box with several bullet points. One of these is called Control of the New International Commons of Space and Cyberspace and Pave the Way for Creation of a New Military Service, U.S. Space Forces, with the Mission of Space Control. Control. Yep. That, that word comforts a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But it bothers me. Of course. I mean, it, this is a polarizing moment. It, it means we find ourselves on a playground full of lots of other kids, and we want to be in charge. Yes. Therefore... The only way to do that, according to playground politics, is to be the bully. Yep. I, w- I want the swing set. I want the sandbox. I want whatever. So how do I do that? I need to shove everyone else out of that. Yep. Hmm. But just thought you would find that interesting because I know you made fun of that in the Alan. And, and I'm not making fun of you for that. Because, sure. But because I, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, here it was outlined, you know. Yeah, well, I've been thinking more about the Space Force, and I don't know exactly what all that entails, but I do know that Trump and the military did take it seriously. Oh, sure. And whatever they are doing, we have no idea, but whatever they are doing, it is now considered the most important branch of the military. I, did you know this? Yes. I, I have. It's like one of the things of, you know, we jokingly refer to it as the Uniparty, and uh-huh. I don't want to get into the nuances of, of, of how much of an overlap there is with this. Right. But it's like the, the 2012 D- Defense Act had things in there that Obama signed off on. And no Republican griped about it because they wanted to use that power as well. Right. And it's right. the same thing with this, with the Space Force. I mean, sure, let Trump do this and everything like that. But we want to use this. Oh, yeah. It's the ultimate high ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing. There's literally nothing higher. No. So you can pinpoint people from space using technology. I mean, just think about Google Earth. Google Earth is free. You know, there's... That level of detail they are giving away for free. It it reminds me of... There's an old film with Val Kilmer called Real Genius. Yes. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And what do they make in that? A laser beam that can... Shoot people from space. Yep. Yep. I mean, what's the best line in that? What's the phase conjugate tracking system is for? I don't know. We saw it in Maui. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know where you. I know where you're going with that, and we sure did. Ladies and gentlemen, somehow yeah. we, we can melt cars, but not melt asphalt. That's right. How does that happen? I don't know, but we, we can melt cars and burn down buildings, but we don't spall concrete. Buy stock in blue paint. Yes. Anyway, the Pearl Harbor moment came in the form of 9/11, like a godsend to the authors of this study. The authors, by the way, operated on many levels of power in the moment of the attack. Dick Cheney was merely the vice president of the United States. Merely. Yet he completely dominated, controlled, and manipulated George Bush, the president. Paul Wolfowitz was deputy to Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld. Lewis Libby was chief of staff to Vice President Dick Cheney. All of them were at the center of power, ready to put this roadmap into action. 
You know, the only one, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but the only one that doesn't make sense to me is Jeb Bush. Right. I mean, like, what the heck? That's it. It reminds me of you know a group project from college, and uh-huh. you've got the 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 fifth guy that you don't even know on there, and he it's never like, showed up for any yeah, of the. It, but, but it's like the one time he shows up, he brings coffee and donuts, and everybody's like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, All right, we'll, we'll put your name on. We'll, we'll give you the twenty percent that you're going to get for this grade and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, sorry. No, but you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, when I read that, I was like, okay, tick tick tick. What? What? Tick tick. Yeah. <laughs> The whole plan was revealed in 2006 in an interview with Wesley Clark. Once again, I will advise everyone to go to YouTube. Uh, he was a highly decorated general. I believe that he even campaigned for U.S. presidency, uh, Democrat, I think, in 2008 or 2012, something like that. I don't remember. Okay. But, uh, I don't but, track those as No, as I'm, well. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. But he gave an interview in Germany with an audience. You can find the interview on YouTube. If, if, if you search for General Wesley Clark, we're going to take out seven countries in five years. That's what you need to look for. Wesley Clark, we're going to take out seven countries in five years. Okay. The interview is in English, but it, it was in a German setting. Okay. So th- th- you can find a, G- a German version of it. You can find an English version of it. Just in case like, when you do the look that, that it comes up and you're like, this is in German. Noah, what are you doing? No worries. Why would he say that in Germany? It, I don't know. It was some kind of... It, um, uh, I, I really don't even know what the event was. Okay. But okay. It, the, the gist of it is this. The interview is beyond remarkable. It's about eight minutes long, and I really wish everyone would pause and go look at this because I will not do it justice. In the opening moments of the video, he talks about going through the Pentagon about 10 days after the attack. Another general calls him into his office and tells him that the U.S. has made the decision to go to war with Iraq. Clark says he went back after the U.S. started operations in Afghanistan. He asked the same person, were we still going to war with Iraq? And the person responded, it's worse than that. We're going after seven countries in five years. Starting with Iraq, then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and ending with Iran. Now, it didn't happen in five years, but we can check off a lot of those countries. Exactly. No idea why Clark did or said this. Unlike Edward Snowden, though, Clark was not exiled into Russia. What makes this extremely credible is that he described everything that Dick Cheney and the group wrote about in 2000. Hmm. Let's start to go tie some of these threads together. The U.S. was looking for a reason or justification to start wars in the Gulf region and in Africa. Why? Why not? (laughs) I mean, did Alan Dulles need a reason? Did the CIA need a reason? No, the military-industrial complex needs to be fed. But I think our audience deserves the opportunity to ask that question. So I just inserted it. Of course. So we acknowledge, Lemma and Noah acknowledge right now that the why is officially unanswered. Correct. Okay. Just know that it uh, happened. Other than to line people's pockets. It was, it was intentional Mm -hmm. that it, it was premeditated. It happened, but we were never given a why. Not a legitimate one anyway. Anyway, go ahead. What's really funny is that we as Americans seem to forget part of the Constitution. Only Congress can declare war. Here's a question for you. This isn't meant to embarrass you. It's just, you know, you as the avatar of the audience just happen to be sitting here. I, I do. How many times in our history have we officially declared war? 
Now, I'm not talking about when we get to World War II, the individual de- declarations of Germany and Italy. and I mean, like overall, right. just... just <clears throat> we just consider World War II one event. That, that's one event, yes. All right. So did we declare war against the UK, against the crown at the it, revolution? No. Okay, so that we, we, Well, we didn't exist, technically. <laughs> right. This was just colonies overthrowing Yeah, us, we couldn't so. declare it. Okay, so what about uh, the French-Indian War? No. Um, Spanish-American? That's one. Okay. World War One. That's two. And World War Two. That's three. You did pretty good. You missed two. You missed the War of 1812 and the Mexican-American War. Dang it. But still, five times. Okay. So what is all this other superfluous, oh, we're just going to launch missiles into a tent? Uh, business model? The malicious aspect of the whole plan was the fact that the U.S. could not have given any of the seven countries... Iraq, Syria, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Lebanon, Iran, reasons that would have justified a war under international law or even morally. They're very aware of this. The war on terror was merely a pretext to permanently destabilize geopolitically important states in order to cement American hegemony. Okay. Incidentally, war was never declared on any of the nations attacked. Only the American Congress can declare a war. This did not happen. The war on terror, and that's in quotes, mm-hmm. always served as the legal basis whereby the USA had sovereignty over the term terror and adapted and expanded it at will to suit their needs. So would you say that declaring war on terror was a declaration of war? It wasn't official, but I mean... But it was kind of their, mm-hmm. it was their excuse it's for, their catch-all for picking every... fights wherever they felt like it Absolutely. was necessary and didn't need to involve Congress. Mm-hmm. However, this could not be accomplished without the support of the American people. Hmm. Cheney and his colleagues wrote that a Pearl Harbor moment was needed to implement the warlike plans. In doing so, they knew exactly what it would take to strike militarily. The effect Pearl Harbor had on popular opinion about entering World War II is not only well known, but has been precisely documented statistically. To give you some history, in 1939, at the, after the outbreak of World War II, Gallup polling asked, should we send our army and navy abroad to fight Germany? 84% said no. (laughs) Roosevelt used this in his campaign. His quote was, your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign war. A few days after Pearl Harbor, Gallup again asked the American people, do you approve or disapprove of Congress declaring war against Japan? 97% approved. Most Americans don't want war. I think most Americans are not bloodthirsty wanting to kill everyone else. I agree. However, if you scare the American people and make them believe their security is threatened, they will change their minds immediately. Mm-hmm. Now, let's review the official narrative on 11 September. This is where I want to get into the weeds here. Okay. On this date, four planes were hijacked by Arab terrorists. Four? That's what we're saying, four planes. Two of them crashed into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon. The fourth plane was brought down by the heroic actions of some hijacked passengers in the Pennsylvania field. Right. Due to the massive damage, the Twin Towers collapsed in front of the eyes of the entire world in a short time after the planes hit. A neighboring building to the Twin Towers, World Trade Center Number 7, was also damaged by debris from the Twin Towers to such an extent that this building also collapsed. The Pentagon also took damage. Around 3,500 people were killed. Over the years, countless questions were asked that cast doubt on the official narrative. The quality of these questions covered the entire possible spectrum, from the erroneous and confused to highly credible. Most of the doubters, by the way, were Americans and did not, as one might have expected, 
come from the Arab world. All of these questions, whether justified or not, were virtually banned. Not only the media, but also societies throughout Western world followed this mantra. Any discussion was nipped in the bud. People were so traumatized and hateful towards the perpetrators who were allegedly identified immediately after the attack that most of them were unable to look at the attacks with a cool eye. Within days of the attack, the people involved had allowed such extreme means and steps to be taken that a change in the factual situation by these doubters would have put the narrative that had become the mantra at considerable risk. Hmm. Western politicians and media thus built up an image that seemed to be almost like a just a religious event. Such irrational worldview hammered into people's heads is hard to shake. Yeah. I mean, think about that. This will all be stream of consciousness for me regarding my thoughts here going forward. Some may overlap or even be reiterated. I apologize in advance. Okay. I have tried to keep it flowing and orderly as best as possible, but that's not always been the case. Let's think back to 2001. The ugly truth of the, all this anti-terroristic measures are designed not to protect the American people from attack or protect our freedoms, but to protect wealth and power, specifically the unprecedented levels of wealth currently held by corporate America, and to restrict those very freedoms that threaten to hold on to that wealth. Okay, so you're basically laying down the gauntlet. You're mm -hmm. saying that you think that the 9-11 attack was too convenient of an event based on, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I mean, okay, if you boil it down on the surface and think about where we were in the late 90s, what, were, what conflicts were we involved in? Well, there was, there was something between Serbia and, I mean. Right, but all, all we were doing was, you know, we weren't boots on the ground no, we were just bombs from the sky. Yes. Yes. I remember what you're talking about. That's when one of the first F-117s got shot down. Uh-huh. That was Clinton. Mm-hmm. We had a few terrorist attacks. I mean, the, the USS Cole, I believe, happened in this. And, yeah, and I think, uh, how many did we lose there? 17? I think so. Yeah. But overall, we're, we're not instigating stuff. I mean, we're, we're trying to negotiate peace with, uh, with the PLO and with Israel. I mean, that's that, right. That, uh, that's right. Yasser Arafat was still and, alive. And, and uh, Yitzhak Rabin, mm -hmm. uh, that ended up getting him assassinated by an Israeli. But, but okay. I mean, so, so I mean, we're, just, we're working on these. Yeah. Just to sum up though, my, my recollection of the time period is that the, the Middle East is a rough neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, anywhere you, and I'm going to offend some folks, but anywhere you find devout radicalized Muslims is a rough neighborhood because they believe that the entire world must be conquered by Islam and we must convert or die. Sure. That, that is, that is their, their faith. So wherever they're located, they, they are antagonistic to other religions. Right. As most religions have been throughout. Correct. I mean, and I know, don't want to single them out because no. of things that have happened in the name of God, no matter who God is. Right. right. I mean, th th that's the thing is, I mean, a hundred thousand people from China, you know, that are not, 
Shinto or Shinto or, or whatever, or, it, yeah. you know, it, this is, religious conflict has gone on for centuries. We're not right. pointing out anything that no one have, does and, not know. And ethnic conflicts yes. have gone on for centuries. It doesn't even have to be religious in nature. Mm-hmm. It can also be, we just don't like your genetics. Right. That has happened forever. So what I'm saying is what I remember. And even those two have overlapped. True. True. Sometimes they reinforce each other. Yeah, I mean, look at Northern Ireland. I mean, a, a Catholic in Northern Ireland can tell you who a Protestant is, and a Protestant can look at who a Catholic is just by looks. Even though they might be related. Yes. Yeah. So here's the crazy thing. We, we in the 90s, kind of existed as the world's peacekeeper. Yes. In, in, at least as far as the media was telling the mm-hmm. people of the United States. And that meant we we had control, but the control was more of a... Just keeping the playground nice. Well, and, and who else would it be? I mean, because you think about the Security Council of, of the UN mm-hmm. and things like that. But, I mean, Germany was reuniting and, yep. and they were still picking up the pieces of of a failed communist economy going into a, a right. Western-style economy. The Japan Soviet ha- Union was falling apart. Yes. Japan has no military. Right. France and, and in the UK have a military, but it's not, they're not, but it's not 20% of their GDP. We surrender. So, Pretty much. So by default, I mean, and I'm not saying. I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't that the United States did not position its ourselves into taking that. But kind of by default, with all the other issues going on, the United States becomes the de facto police force. Okay, and so in my my understanding at the time, because I was a younger man then, uh, was not that we had usurped other countries' sovereignty. Yes. But mostly just because of our success, because of our because of our GDP because of our presence globally, because of our, you know, our, our country being built on principles of independence and freedom and goodwill right. and um, pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and the, you know. Mm-hmm. So that made us the good guys. And because of our goodness, we have been blessed. And because of our blessings, we were the ones that were making sure that nobody got out of hand and beat up on their little brother. Mm-hmm. That was my understanding of life at the time. It, it now, reminds me of this. We're sitting there with a trailer full of glass to help people that, you know, have broken glass and things. Right. But no one looks in the bed of the truck to see all the rocks and bricks that we have in there. (laughs) All right. I think you're skipping ahead of me. But yes, yes, that is where we're probably going to end up. Uh, um, But I will say that up until that point, up until Bill Clinton's presidency, I, I did not know that we were the bad guy. Sure. What I have since learned is that there is money to be made Mm -hmm. in hot conflicts where people die. Yeah. And if you engineer the situation such that the people you are killing have been marginalized in some way, very similar to what Hitler did Mm -hmm. with the Jewish population and the Polish population, and then eventually the Russian population, and anyone with darker skin population, mm-hmm. then once you've demonized or dehumanized those people, then it's easier to justify taking their lives and their things. Right. Right? And this this is evidenced by the piles and piles of wedding rings and shoes and golden fillings from teeth mm-hmm. that were extracted without permission. Um, anyway, all that to say, you are asserting, this is what I'm hearing you say, that 9-11 was too convenient 
somebody or somebody's in power in the United States saw this as an opportunity mm-hmm. to get the public rallied around a concept that would allow them and their military supplying cronies to pick fights all over the world and make a bunch of money. Yeah. And this is after we've already discussed Alan Dulles and the policies that he established in American... Well, I think the thing is, is that they overlap because I I think that they're running the same thing. I mean, you know, the the irony, and I saw this stated the other day, and I was thinking about all of the things that, that have arisen from one event. It almost reminds me of the words of Christ when he said, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? In World War II, the United States saved the world and we lost our own country. Yeah, we did. Because our military industrial complex arose from this. I mean, we saved the whole world and lost our own country. We lost our soul. Yeah. 100%. We, we okay. I, I'm not going to say anything else. You're fine. I just, I just wanted to sort of, um, I, I just wanted to basically build a little Ebenezer on yeah. something has changed. The 9-11 event you are asserting is not what we thought. No, not at all. Okay. No. In fact, let's go to this American tragedy, in other words, plays directly into the hands of the corporate and military elite of this nation, who for years have been propagandizing for a more belligerent and imperialistic foreign policy and for more repressive legislation here on the home front. Having been presented with the pretext to enact such measures, it is our leaders, elected or otherwise, who started to gain the most from yesterday's bloodshed. Mm. And by yesterday, I mean... Yeah, you know, what came before the, the the past and everything like that. As for the question of who had the means and opportunity to commit these crimes, the official story holds that there were the work of a well-organized foreign terrorist organization. Officials have acknowledged that the operation was exceptionally well-planned, well-coordinated series of attacks that required months of planning, large network of co-conspirators to pull this off. So well-organized was this organization that the government spokesman and television talking heads, which are really basically the same thing, have been at a loss to explain some of the day's events. Many questions have been left unanswered, and some haven't been asked at all. Some of the answers that have been offered have strained credibility far past the breaking point. Okay. One question that has always gone unanswered is how a plane was able to penetrate so deeply into the Pentagon's airspace. Mm-hmm. Even after two other planes had already plowed into the World Trade Centers. Despite the ridiculous current claims, the airspace surrounding the Pentagon is perhaps the most tightly controlled military secured place in the world. This would be all the more true in the immediate aftermath of a large-scale terroristic attack on New York City. Right. Claims have been made that even if the approach of the aircraft had sounded an alarm, it would not have been targeted due to the fact it was a commercial aircraft with many innocent lives aboard. Nonsense. Right. Anyone that thinks the U.S. military or intelligence personnel would hesitate to target a commercial airliner, particularly in the light of the fact that two such aircraft had already been used in suicide attacks, is living in a media-induced fantasy world. That's right. And it's worth repeating. Yeah. The United States government will absolutely shoot down a Mm -hmm. plane full of American citizens if it protects the White House. Yeah. The question then is how this plane was able to elude the Pentagon's formidable defenses is one that should receive close scrutiny for America's free and independent press. There are virtually no, there's virtually no chance that that ever would and did happen. No. Another question that begs for an answer is how teams of presumably armed hijackers were able to breach the security measures of no less than three major airports and successfully hijack four separate flights. 
Contrary to the claims now being made, security precautions currently in place in U.S. airports were anything but lax. Right. I mean, they didn't pat you down. No. But... You went through metal detectors and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm I'm sorry, even before the garbage TSA, I mean, if you got five guys coming through with box cutters, supposedly, (laughs) you're not going to raise a question? As reports began to come in, going back to the day, reports began to come in claiming that the hijackers had improvised weapons from razor blades and other items carried in their shaving kits. The network and cable news broadcasters reported this story actually did so with straight faces. The scenario would be laughable were the story not such a tragic one. According to the latest official accounts, three to five terrorists boarded each of the hijacked aircraft. All of these terrorists, of course, were such religious fanatics that they had agreed to give up their lives for the cause that they believed in, and none of them presumably had second thoughts about that decision once the operation was underway. Okay. Does anyone really believe that a few guys wielding toothbrush handles embedded with razor blades could quickly and efficiently gain control of a commercial airliner? I would think such a group would have their hands full trying to hold up a liquor store. Right. But they are suggesting that that is exactly what happened and that every single time it was successful, at least up to a point. Nevertheless, these terrorist teams reportedly succeeded where so many other better armed terrorists had failed. Mm Mm-hmm. The majority of hijacking attempts, as officials have acknowledged, end in failure. There, hasn't, there had not been one succeed, to succeed in this country for a decade, and yet these teams succeeded in, on a spectacular scale in four out of four attempts and with only the most primitive of weapons. Do we, to what are we to attribute that fact? Don't look to the media for answers. Don't look to the government for answers. Did they even ask the question? No. And I mean, <laughs> this is the other thing. Is, I mean, you're telling me that, you know, throughout your life that the government's batting a thousand. Well, sure. (laughs) Perhaps the most obvious question raised by the attacks is one that the officials have feebly attempted to answer, is how planning for such operation could have escaped the attention of the country's intelligence services. Mm -hmm. Whenever such an event occurs, the intelligence agencies rather predictably hang their heads, slump their shoulders, and just sheepishly grin as they explain their their powerlessness to predict such things. Well, we did the best we could. Yeah. With the information we had. But our resources are limited. Our mm-hmm. adversaries are formidable and our resource, our sources are not infallible. Right. It's the same line. That's a real nice story, but the reality is the CIA, along with the FBI, the ONI, DIA, NSC, NSA, DEA, and virtually every other three-letter acronym you could think of, constitutes the largest and most insidious intelligence network the world has ever seen. Edward Snowden told us this. And yet we're to believe that we are a bunch of dumbasses that couldn't find our butt with 40 grabs? <laughs> its agents have been fully infiltrated in every foreign government on the planet, as well as every significant terrorist group and every domestic resistance movement that has ever posed even a remote threat to the goals of those who helm the American ship of state. I mean, think about it. The, the Gretchen Whitmer thing. Mm. That was all the FBI. Totally Patriot was. Front. That's all the FBI. Probably. They're very good chance. I mean, just their body language alone. Yeah. It is simply inconceivable that such an ambitious attack could have been planned, coordinated, and launched without knowledge of numerous members of the national security state. That's the incredible reality that no amount of media and government spend can erase, though politicians and their media puppets will work overtime to do exactly that. 
One only needs to turn their television set off and their brain on, though, to see how preposterous is the claim that these attacks took the intelligence community by surprise. Perhaps the most disturbing question raised by the attacks is what exactly caused the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center to collapse. The impact of the planes affected only the upper floors of the towers. Foundations were unaffected. The United Kingdom's Guardian acknowledged that the initial impact of the aircraft would result in less stress on the building than is normally caused by high winds. Yeah. The buildings were specifically designed to handle such horizontal movement. The Guardian and its expert consultants concluded that the collapse of the buildings was the result of a secondary explosion attributed to the delayed release of large supply of jet fuel carried by the aircraft. All right. Put a pin in that for a moment. Oh, believe me, I'm... I'm pinning it. <laughs> How, though, could the ignition of the jet fuel have occurred as a delayed secondary explosion? As the endlessly played videotapes of the attacks graphically illustrate, the initial impacts resulted in enormous fireballs and the immediate engulfing of a portion of the buildings in flames. Yep. It is inconceivable that the aircraft's fuel tanks would not have burst upon impact and their contents immediately ignited. Indeed, if that wasn't in fact, the case, then how are we able to explain the initial explosions and the fireballs that were witnessed by the world? What exactly was it that created the spectacular initial blast if it wasn't the jet fuel? <laughs> but if that was the case, what was it then that created the secondary explosions that appear to have occurred? Now, I want to go on a bit of an interlude here, and I know that you have information, so let's discuss construction methods and things of that nature before we get back into my thoughts. Yes, let's do, because... <clears throat> there's a couple things that I am personally aware of, and uh, you are too, Noah, because both of us have made a career mm -hmm. out of construction. We, we are trained, you in engineering, me in architecture, and we understand structures and yes. statics and the forces that are applied to the things that we construct for human habitation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we are familiar with the materials that were used in those buildings, whether they are uh, curtain wall and uh, structural steel assemblies, uh, concrete foundations, and all the different ways of countering loads mm -hmm. from floor to floor so that it can resist moment and shear and all kinds of other things that are applied to a building. Hang okay. on one second, because you threw out a lot of, of buzzwords there, but let's go through each one of those, if you don't mind, right quick. Okay. To, to understand, when you look at a building that has a glass facade, generally, if it's less than two stories tall, this is storefront glass, right. meaning that the building itself, the structure is supported. Yes. And it's the, more or less a window. Yes. The window that's is not great, structural. That's a great way it to describe it. It is not load-bearing. But you said curtain wall, which which means that the glass is load-bearing. is load-bearing. The structure in the glass is load-bearing. Okay. Now, and it's not load-bearing in the sense that it's holding up the floor. Correct. It's load-bearing in the sense that it's holding up itself. Yes. Okay. So it is an element on the exterior of the building, very much like a shell. Yes. Now there there is uh, on on structures like this particular building the the, the towers at nine nine eleven um, the World Trade Center towers what building numbers were they one and two one and two which, one two and seven were the ones that collapsed correct one and two are basically skyscrapers in mm -hmm. the in the most fundamental sense they weren't even pretty no not really they were basic rectangular prisms 
that that were perpendicular to the surface of the earth. I mean, it wasn't designed by I.M. Pei or Antoine Predock. Or Philip Johnson right. or any of those guys. Yeah, uh, Vies, Mies van der Rohe or anybody, anybody with any kind of, you know, artistic clout. Um, Philip Johnson didn't have any artistic clout. Well, I mean... I threw him in there because he built buildings in right. Houston that looked just like these. Ugly square boxes with shiny surfaces. Well, I mean, it's not a glass triangle, so it's not <laughs> I.M. Pei. That's right. Which is also pretty tragic, but he would fight you. Anyway, yes. Um, well, and 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 Predoc has such a uh, ego that I mean, I'm not sure that he wouldn't argue on anything. Yes, God graced the earth with him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, wh- what's the? Uh, let's go back to. Uh, uh, I mean, it's not exactly Buckminster Fuller here, you know, with, with our uh, Bucky. No, because balls. if Bucky had built it, it'd still be standing. Right. <laughs> true. Very okay. True. Anyway, all that to say. Um, uh, we know a little bit about structures, and these buildings were designed to take airplanes. Well, you think about, I mean, I don't remember the exact dimensions of it, but I mean, think about the surface area of one side of that building and wind blowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, each of us is a formidable sized human being, right? basically. I mean, I don't, you know, not to get into actual dimensions, but I mean, I think I'm probably, you know, six foot tall and I'm probably, you know, 30 inches wide. Okay. When the wind blows, I feel it. Especially if it's blowing faster than 30 miles an hour. Yes. And so, but you think about and project that, I mean, if you tried to carry a piece of plywood in in wind, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 32 square feet. Mm -hmm. Boats are propelled across the Mm -hmm. ocean through waves. Using only wind. Yes. So, and this is not a new thing, a new concept. Wind does not apply enough force for most people to be super concerned about it most of the time. Right. But when you t- when when wind um, wind load is measured in pounds per square foot, and sometimes air pressure is measured in pounds per square inch, mm-hmm. like in your tires, you inflate yes. your tires to say thirty two psi. That's thirty two pounds per square inch. 32 pounds per square inch times four can hold up a two-ton vehicle. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I'm just telling you that that pressure applied to a surface is a significant load. And any designer would be absolutely remiss, negligent to the criminal level if they did not account for potential like and things you can anticipate loads that would apply to that building when there are as many people occupying it as Absolutely. there are this is a life safety issue this is something that is built into every building code and even though those buildings were older they had been designed with a contingency a safety factor in the structure to withstand an airplane just like the one that hit those buildings and to survive it mm-hmm what bothers me is the concept, or at least the notion, that we're supposed to accept as the uneducated public that that exact scenario happened, and yet no one anticipated the effect of the jet fuel. Sure. That's just not possible. You know why? Because in structures like that, even though steel doesn't burn, per se, at those temperatures... Um, it's still protected. Mm-hmm. They did apply fireproofing to these structural members. Yes. It was a sprinklered building. Mm-hmm. It had the ability to put out a fire by itself. 
Yes. So what? Uh, I want to put a pin in what I'm going to say, but because okay. it'll because I know that you have more more discussions on these. All right. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna basically say uh, I'm suspending disbelief for a moment on buildings one and two. Sure. Okay. Um, because they took a direct impact of a what was the what was the size of the airplane? Was um, it a seven? Well, I, I I have that in here, but um, yeah, I mean it, they were se- uh, seven five and seven six sevens. We were told. So we were told. We were told that it was a 757 and a 767 yes. that impacted buildings one and two. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was exactly those two numbers, but those buildings got hit by big planes yes. full of jet fuel. Yes. And, and we're going to give them the best the, the, the best chance of being correct. We're going to say they hadn't burned even one gallon of sure. that jet fuel. Mm-hmm. So they were packed. Yeah. All right. So I could, I could suspend disbelief long enough to say, Noah, that yes... Maybe the the engineers back in the, what was it, early 70s or whatever, did not know enough about how hot jet fuel would burn or take into account the different furnitures and papers and equipment and other things that people had brought into those buildings and what the effect of them burning would have on the structure and that maybe it would collapse up to the point where the planes were. Because we all know heat rises mm-hmm. and so... At the point of impact, and maybe one floor below that, if the jet fuel were still liquid and it went down and then caught fire, everything from that point up would be compromised by heat. Yes. It would be impacted by heat. Without a doubt. Nothing below that point mm-hmm. would be impacted by heat. Correct. It would also have been designed to handle the load. So I'm just going to say I have questions about that. Right. But the one thing, the one part of this story in New York on that day that made me a conspiracy theorist is what in the heck happened to Building 7. Sure. Now, no, nothing touched it. Nothing. Well, well, some debris may have touched it. That's the, pl- that's the theory. I have an empty cup on this table that I'm going to throw and hit you with. Is that going to knock you down? No. It might tick me off, but it won't knock me down. Right. So here's the deal. What we have been told as the public is that airplane one, wham, mm-hmm. into the first building. Airplane two comes in, wham, hits the second building. And each time when these buildings hit, they didn't just stop suddenly, like a car wrapping itself around a tree. Right. Okay. Um, the airplane hits the curtain wall, which is structural, remember it's a shell, mm-hmm. and immediately begins to disassemble. As it's going through columns and, and occupied spaces with framed walls and, and other kinds of furniture, it, it, pieces of it are peeling off because it's traveling at what speed? Worst case scenario, 500 miles an hour. Right. So let's just assume worst case. 500 miles an hour is freaking fast. Yes. I mean, you could measure cannonballs in the same speed, mm-hmm. okay? So it is going freaking fast. And or at that cruise point, missiles. Yeah, oh. uh, right. But at that speed, anything becomes lethal. Sure. Okay? And anything that that airplane touched starts ripping apart the aluminum shell, yes. ripping apart the structure, ripping apart the gas tanks, rip, ripping apart everything that, that that airplane was trying to pile drive through the building. And if you look at the video, you can see... On the opposite side of the building, some of those projectiles were still moving fast enough that they went all the way through the floor and came out the other side. Right. Okay. So 
what went all the way through buildings one and two, one of those had enough debris coming out the other side that it left the building and it flew across the street and it landed on building seven, which is directly adjacent. I mean, touching mm-hmm. buildings on either side of it. Yeah, but Bil- it, it this skips over building six. It skips over building six. It skips over a street. It it. Pe- I, th- I think it's a plaza. I don't think it's a street. Well, I mean, it might as well be. Well, it, but it but could yes. easily handle two way yes. traffic. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sizable distance. Yes, it goes over building six. It goes over a plaza. It peppers building seven and triggers internal fires. Mm-hmm. Now, whatever that is, may have a little residual jet fuel. It might have even been made out of something like pine knots or fatwood or I don't know something that burns really well. Right. But what they are telling us is this little pepper of debris skipped the building to the east and the west. It skipped anything to the north and the south. It only landed on Building 7, which happens to be owned by the same man who owns Buildings 1, 2, and 6. And it burns. Yeah. It catches fire. And And I I think the ATF was also located in that building. It's true. Did you know that the government had offices yeah. in all of these buildings? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So anyway, Building 7, which the ATF has offices in, suddenly catches fire from all this. And I think the st- Port Authority as well. Right. Right. It's, it, it, and, and there might have even been maybe some, some gold hmm. stored at the basement level of some of these buildings. Um, anyway... Anyway, let's not be distracted by those things. Let's just say that you pepper a building like Building 7 that has its own fire suppression system. It has its, it's basically built in a very similar way as build Towers 1 and 2. And it gets peppered with some debris, and that starts internal fires. And then those internal fires suddenly rage out of control and are not suppressed by the multi-million dollar fire suppression system. And it gets to the point where the building is engulfed in flames. No, wait, it wasn't. There were fires, but it was not engulfed in flames. Right. And then all of a sudden, it collapses from the core. The central core of the building collapses internally on itself. In its own footprint. Beautifully. Exactly like one would expect if it was an intentional demolition. Sure. In fact, you can now look up right now on YouTube Mm -hmm. video footage of Building 7 on fire. And you can see, pop, 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 through the glass, tiny little explosions with light and sound that were all corroborated by eyewitness accounts, Building 7 was taken down. No doubt about that. I am telling you right now, as a formally trained architecture student that has worked his entire career in commercial construction, that Building 7 was an intentional demolition And there is no doubt in my mind. 100%. I am fully persuaded that whatever they tell us about Building 7, it is a lie. I think it has to be. And if Building 7 is a lie, which I think is demonstrable without Mm -hmm. a doubt to anyone that knows anything about construction. This is Occam's razor. Then everything else has to be questioned too. I, I have no issue with that. Not Good. to mention the fact that in the debris, they found thermite nanoparticles. Right. 
which is only used in the intentional demolition of steel structures. I don't know how that would have gotten there any other way. I rest my case. Good thoughts there, and I'm in complete agreement with you on Building 7. One thing I've always wondered about, in order for us to wage war, to promote freedom and democracy around the world, it is necessary to sacrifice those very things here at home that were outlined in the Constitution. Okay. I mean, it's like the the, the whole gun argument when some place gets shot up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop it by taking away the rights of people who didn't do this. I've always wondered. And, and, and I just want to say one more thing. Yeah, go Cause, ahead. Because I can't help myself. Yeah. I'm not a Republican. I just want to say that. I understand. I'm I'm not, neither I am cannot, I. I cannot align with the current GOP. I, I don't know what to call myself. I don't either. Because I'm, I'm not libertarian. Because every libertarian I talk to, you know, what, what do you believe in this? And it's like, oh, dude, legalize it, man. Yeah. It's like, no, that's... No, that's not my thing. Um, but I'm not a Republican. I am definitely not a Democrat. Uh, I yeah. think I think it's time for us to just call a spade a spade. Yeah. It is... It is the Communist Party and the Enabling Party. Yeah, I I can... Okay. So having said that, us talking about gun control, since you mentioned it. Yeah. um, How many of the mass shootings in the last 20 years were um, perpetrated by Democrats? I'm going to say like 99.9% of them. It's the vast majority. Yeah. So you got folks like David Hogg out there. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, gun control, gun control, gun Use, control. Useful idiot. Yeah. That's all he um, is. The people shooting up other people are Democrat voters. Mm-hmm. If we took guns away from Democrats, we would basically eliminate gun crime. I'm just saying. I don't disagree with you. Maybe that needs to be its own podcast. I think so. Sorry. Anyway, in review of all of this, there have always been several things for me that I have never been able to reconcile. One, as you discussed, the perfectly symmetrical and total collapse of three commercial high-rise office buildings that day. The first, by the way, such collapses in history can only, oh, yeah. be, can only be explained through controlled demolitions requiring a considerable amount of advanced planning, preparation, and expertise and ex- access. That's worth repeating. They, they admit, even the, even the, the organization that um, investigated the collapse says... There is no precedent for this. No. There is no precedent well, and, and for I've a building it. of this no. caliber collapsing because of what happened to it. Mm-mm. And they don't fall down like this anyway. Mm-mm. If it was accidental, it would not have come down internally upon itself completely with its own footprint. I've got something else about that coming up too. The nation with the world's most formidable military apparatus and with the world's most advanced air defense systems failed in every way imaginable to respond to the attacks and failed to follow the most basic routine automatic procedures for responding to emergency situations. Not only did the Air Force and civil defense systems fail to respond, despite having more than ample time to do so, but the purported commander-in-chief also failed to respond as did his staff in security detail and all of his underlings. Yeah. Here's a question. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, but, you know, we have the deal on the TV and the radio about this is the emergency broadcast system. Why wasn't that triggered? That's a really good question. If there was ever a time to trigger it, that would have been it. <laughs> I mean, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Number Second three. coming of Christ. We're going to use that system when, when God comes back, but not until then. 
Here's something else. Three, it is impossible to reconcile the documented damage to the Pentagon with the notion that it was struck by a 757 passenger jet. Evidence instead indicates that it was either hit by a cruise missile, one launched, and not one launched from a cave in Afghanistan, or it was taken <laughs> out with explosives planted within the building. And, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Are you going to talk about no. the footage? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Four. For something on this day happened that I've never seen happen before. Okay. The laws of physics and the universe changed completely on this one day and then seamlessly went right back to normal once the day had ended. To give you the first hint of this, going back to your World Trade Center building collapses, never before until this moment had any building suffered even a partial collapse due to fire. Let me repeat that. Until this moment. Never had any building suffered even a partial collapse due to fire. That's amazing. The Twin Towers were certainly not the first high-rise structures to ever sustain significant damage from a fire, nor were they the first steel-framed buildings to be struck by an errant aircraft. Various buildings around the world, including the Empire State Building, have been hit by airplanes of various size, and countless steel frames around the world have been hit by U.S.-launched cruise missiles and guided bombs, and none of them have ever suffered a complete collapse, even after sustaining <laughs> multiple impacts. So to say, we have precedent. We know what happens when we shoot a cruise missile at a building, and it does not collapse. Well, do you remember that? I want to. I can't remember the exact year, but it was. I want to say it was like 2008 or 2000. Maybe it was. It may have been as late as 2014. I don't remember. But there was a building in Spain, a steel building that caught on fire and burned for 30 hours and still did not collapse. Right. Right. Was that made out of out of uh, Damascus steel and it doesn't burn? It was made out of kryptonite. I don't care to discuss the statement in depth because simply there are too many things that can be dismissed as pure conjecture. But one thing I would like to point out here that does not have a nice spot to land is this. Almost every company I have ever worked for has been in the business of making money. Mm -hmm. Most of them do not waste resources on things that are not going to make them money. Right. Why would you? Something to me is wrong with the flights that day. Okay. American Airlines Flight 11 is a Boeing 757-223. And depending on configuration, it has room for 200 to 239 passengers. On this day, it had 92 souls on board, two pilots, nine flight attendants, 81 passengers. So a, a plane that can hold 200 to 239 only had 80 passengers? Okay, hang on. American Airlines Flight 77 is a Boeing 767-223ER, and depending on its configuration, can have room for 174 to 245 passengers. On this day, it had 64 souls on board, two pilots, four flight attendants, and 58 passengers. 58 passengers and four flight attendants. Okay, hang on. United Flight 93 is a Boeing 757-222. Depending on its configuration, can have room for 200 to 239 passengers. This day it had 45 souls on board, two pilots, five flight attendants, 38 passengers. 38 passengers and five Hold flight on. attendants? Hold on. <laughs> United Flight 175 is a Boeing 767-200, and depending on its configuration, again, room for 174 to 245 passengers. On this day it had 65 souls on board, two pilots, seven flight attendants, and 56 passengers. Holy cow. So quick math on this. Flight 11 has one flight attendant per nine people. Flight 77 has one flight attendant for 14 people. Flight 93 has one flight attendant per eight people, and Flight 175 has one flight attendant per eight people. To me, that seems like these flights are massively overstaffed. Correct. People cost money. 
That's a lot of payroll for almost empty flights. But where would they get staffing requirements for these flights? Most likely historical data. So to me, where are all the people that normally flew these flights? I haven't been on a flight that has had that ratio anywhere close to that, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, it might be different in the New England area. You know, those people fly more often than we do. I don't know, but that that to me is something that has always stuck out. Is, mm. you know, and granted, you don't see everybody that's on the plane and everything like that, so there may be more staff than what I normally see. Right, and you would expect possibly um, for one of the flights to be staffed with that kind of ratio, mm-hmm. but not all of them. No. I would like you to dive into point three here. I don't really have any issue with planes hitting the World Trade Center. Video, you know, is easily found showing this happening. Where are the videos of the plane hitting the Pentagon? I am being asked to believe that there was not a single camera on the largest military office building in the world that was able to capture this. Of course, there were eyewitness accounts. The only problem with this is that the human beings make terrible eyewitnesses. Most people, even those who are well-intentioned and are mistaken about what it is they actually witnessed, even more so at times of high stress. Yeah. One thing to note here that I find extremely interesting. The Pentagon was not evacuated that morning, even though it was widely believed to be a potential target. Also, it was not evacuated even though a projectile was reportedly being tracked heading toward the direction of the Pentagon. If the Pentagon had been evacuated, lives would have been saved. But there also would have been thousands of people milling about outside the Pentagon that would have been eyewitnesses to whether or not a plane did indeed crash into the Pentagon. (laughs) We have an official story of what happened in New York. We don't have one for what happened at the Pentagon. I think this was by design because it is much harder to point out lies and the sheer absurdities in an official story if the official story has never been formed. Now here's where I want to merge into point four. What we were told to believe is that Flight 77, flying at a very high rate of speed while merely feet off the ground, plowed into the side of the Pentagon at 9.38 a.m. on the 11th September 2001. The initial statements indicated that only components to survive the impact and subsequent fire were the black boxes and a single landing light. I will point out that none of the black boxes has ever been turned over to civilian authorities and the contents of the black boxes have never been publicly revealed. The failure to recover the rest of the aircraft was unofficially attributed to the fact that the entire plane was vaporized by the fire. Vaporized? Now, let me repeat this slowly. The aircraft was vaporized by the fire, not melted into a pool of molten plastics and metals, but poof, gone. So I know what temperature aluminum melts. What temperature does aluminum vaporize? I don't know that. But over 100 tons of plane gone. And I'm amazed at the physics at the Pentagon were completely different than they were at the World Trade Center. Because somehow there were plane parts that survived at the World Trade Center and found in the rubble, but not at the Pentagon. (laughs) Now, if you are capable of fogging a mirror, you have knowledge that a hydrocarbon fire cannot possibly burn at the temperatures to melt an aircraft much less vaporize it. Right. That this was even foisted upon the public shows how little they think of the American people since zero wreckage of any aircraft was ever recovered from the Pentagon. Maybe what happened that day is that John Foster Dulles Airport loaded up Flight 77 with some kind of brand new hypergolic fuel that had never been seen before and had never been seen again because it managed to only consume the plane itself and nothing of the building. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. 
And let's think about the sequencing of the events here. Flight 77 takes off from Dulles International at 810 heading to Los Angeles. It flew along its path and went as far as Kentucky. For those that are geographically challenged, Kentucky is next to Virginia and is approximately 300 miles from Washington, D.C. Back to the timing. Flight 11 leaves Logan Airport in Boston at 7.59 a.m., hits the North Tower at 8.45 a.m. Flight 175 leaves Logan Airport in Boston at 7.58 a.m. and hits the South Tower at 9.05. Flight 93 leaves Newark International at 8.01. Flight 77 leaves, as we stated, from Dulles at 8.10 and supposedly hits the Pentagon at 9.40. Now, for some reason, Flight 77 was delayed from Dulles. It was supposed to take off before any of the rest of them. Okay. I, I, and that, that's no conspiracy here. No, I, I, it has never been said why this flight was delayed, but for whatever reason, for 20 minutes or whatever, this flight was delayed. So it was supposed to take off at 810? It was supposed to take off first, well before 810. Okay. In and fact, it, I, I want, I, let me look through my notes here, but I think I, I've, I've got it. But would it not have made more sense that the Pentagon gets hit first? The way, that way they can claim the Pentagon being hit the chaos and disorder causes the air defenses to go offline. But instead, we have two planes that left before Flight 77 that hit the World Trade Center, and that yet this plane is allowed to fly with zero consequences straight into the heart of D.C.? No. Let's put this another way. A third-rate terrorist would know to hit the military command center first, then hit the civilian targets while the military was busy trying to figure things out. But we're not dealing with a third-rate terrorist here. We're dealing with first-team all-world superstar Osama bin Laden. (laughs) Now, very much unlike the supposed crash, there are many photos of the aftermath. None of these even comes close to supporting what is stated. The penetration into the side of the Pentagon is not big enough to account for the wingspan of a 757. Hmm. In fact, the penetration was not even large enough to account for the width of the fuselage of a 757. Oh, my gosh. Now... I have seen the aftermath of plane crashes. They all have one thing in common. There are always identifiable pieces of the plane left over. Whether it is landing gear, engines, wings, or a tail with three fins, there is Mm -hmm. always something that everyone can look at and say, hey, that's a plane. Mm -hmm. As -hmm. a quick aside to those who have flown and don't really think about this, your seat cushion that uses a flotation device is not to save you. It's to mark the debris field so they can find the black boxes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to bust everyone's bubble on that. But yes, I mean, it will float and you can cling to it if you survive the impact. That's if you're not dead. But yeah. that's the whole reason that, that oh, stuff gosh. from the airplane floats is so they can track the debris field. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. One of the overwhelming buzzword phrases that was stated about the Pentagon plane was that the plane's wings were reduced to confetti. This was published in several things. Somehow we are to believe that a passenger plane's wings can snap off as easily as those of those balsa wood glider planes we bought at the store as kids. Do they even make those things anymore? Self-shredding wings. Anyway, I am not a technician or an avionics engineer that has ever worked on airplanes. Freely admit that. However, what I notice... And for that matter, what anyone else should notice is that when you see a commercial aircraft, there are some things that are hanging underneath the wings, the engines. Mm. You know, those huge things that actually, oh, I don't know, propel the plane forward. (laughs) If the wings can be reduced to confetti so easily, how do they manage to stay together with the forces the engines apply all the time? Right. Think about that. The engines don't just weigh tons. 
and they're attached to a structure that is strong enough to resist the thrust, but they are capable of propelling that entire airplane and all of the people inside it and their luggage through the air at 500 miles an hour. Exactly. Why do we not just see fuselages sitting on the runway after the wings disintegrate? <laughs> there used to be a wing here. You can no. tell by the engines laying on the ground. Not to mention the landing gear. Huh. Also a pretty tough piece of equipment. Yet none of these things seem to still exist after the plane hit the Pentagon. The laws of physics that day and at this spot in time must have been dramatically different than any other time in history. Hmm. And yet the same thing happened in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It's crazy. Most people have seen pictures of the purported crash site of Flight 93. Well, what they have seen is being passed off as pictures of the crash site. The only problem is none of these pictures actually depict the site of an actual crash of a large passenger plane. I can assuredly say this because as a general rule, aircraft crash sites contain recognizable wreckage of an aircraft. Pull up any picture of a famous airline crash site and there is always wreckage of the plane. Heck, one of the more famous ones is the Pan Am 103 bombing over Lockerbie, Scotland. In fact, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Pan Am 103, there is a diagram on the right side of the page that is colored green, red, gray, yellow, and white. It's a picture of a plane. These colors indicate where wreckage was found. Now, the flight was at 31,000 feet when the bomb went off, and yet investigators found many, many pieces and parts. Wow. Almost enough to piece the whole plane back together. Hmm. They didn't vaporize. Yet the same cannot be said regarding Flight 93. Once again, somehow the entire plane was vaporized on impact. If you do even a cursory search, you can see how this cannot possibly hold up. Look at the pictures that are official government exhibits for the Zacharias Massawi trial that was held. There are three aerial photographs of the supposed impact crater, and none of them show anything of wreckage anywhere near the center. This one has an official narrative, is that the lack of visible wreckage is attributed to the fact the plane impacted the ground with such tremendous force that the plane is actually buried in the ground beneath the crater. One last beat a dead horse moment for the day. To borrow a phrase, the day everything changed. Colossal office buildings, for example, suddenly and inexplicably acquired the ability to drop into their own building footprint with zero assistance from demolition experts. <laughs> Five-story stone and masonry buildings suddenly acquired the amazing ability to completely swallow up a commercial airliner without leaving behind a path of entry or any trace of aircraft wreckage. And now, perhaps most amazingly of all, the ground itself managed to somehow gain the ability to swallow up an entire commercial aircraft. The NTASB or ASTB or however, whoever the National Association of Aeronautics yeah. and whatever, don't they always, as a rule, collect all the parts of an airplane? They're supposed to. And reassemble it to do a thorough investigation? I believe that they're supposed to. Did they not recover the airplane fuselage from the ground apparently, in Pennsylvania? Apparently not, because the ground swallowed it up. Put another way regarding Flight 93. A hundred-plus ton aircraft with rough dimensions of being 155 feet long, 125 feet wide, and 45 feet tall disappears into a crater measuring, at most, 40 feet long, 20 feet wide, and 18 feet deep. This comes from the official documents of the crash site. I remember seeing the magician David Copperfield make things disappear, such as the Statue of Liberty or an airplane, but he never made an entire airplane disappear without a trace in an empty field. There's a substantial area where debris was found all over Pennsylvania countryside. 
what I'm pretty sure is what happens the military shot down this plane. And when the alleged phone call from the plane was released to the passenger, uh, with the passengers trying to take control of the plane, Todd Beamer, let's roll. This gave the government the most powerful piece of propaganda that they could beyond their imagination. I didn't mean to get this long-winded about it, but I think we have covered just about everything of the major highlights. As always, I encourage everyone to dig deeper than what you have been told. Please do. My gosh. I mean, here's the thing. We're not trying to subvert the United States government. No. All we're trying to do here is say what we have been told officially does not work. I mean, the... This is what it, oh, it always comes down to for me. In my lifetime, you're telling me that the government is batting a thousand. <laughs> this government? Made up of these people? No. Sorry. I mean, what did the Democrat media say about George W. Bush at every opportunity? He liked Veritas. Yeah. He, he was a rube. Mm-hmm. A country bumpkin. Yep. He couldn't get nothing right. People just kept misunderestimating him. I think that was his own word. I know. I know. But my point is, we're now going to... I just... I don't know, man. I don't know. What about Bill Clinton? I think that the thing that bothers me the most, and this is probably what we what will get me shot. Okay. Or... Okay. For the record, I am in my right mind. I am neither, I am not more or less suicidal today than I was the day before. <laughs> I have not suddenly gained the ability to fly, nor do I believe that if I jump off a building without a parachute that I will be able to survive. Right. Very few people do. All I will say is this. Almost every government leader we have had since the formation of the Trilateral Commission mm. or the CFR have been a member of one or both. That's right. This is And this is from the presidency on down to the Pentagon, on down through the cabinet and everything like that. You're either CFR, which is the Council for Foreign Relations, or you're a trilateral commission. Yeah. Neither is good. No. And it doesn't matter. Part, that, I mean, I mean, I mean that, that is your political party. Yeah. Whether Democrat is. or Republican or anything like that. Your it, true it, allegiance it, is to the Council of Foreign it, Relations it's, it's CFR or the trilateral commission. Or trilateral commission. commission. That's right. Yes. This is the thing. I, I have decided what, that I want to run for Congress. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to run on two platforms. All right. A rough approximation. Okay. The, just two rules. This is, this is all I want. Only going to be there until I can get these passed. Okay. The Constitution, if, probably if you type it out, is probably about 19 pages long. The Declaration of Independence is about five pages long. We're just going to say that if you cannot say what you're going to say in your law in 50 pages or less, we're not voting. That's a good rule. I'm like sorry. That. The rules of and the the rules of this land were laid down in less than fifty pages. Yeah. All right. And then rule number two. This is this is my favorite one. All right. You can no longer wear suits or dresses or whatever it is to this. This is not the John Fetterman rule. <laughs> okay. You have to wear like a NASCAR or auto racing jumpsuit with the patches of who sponsors you. Yeah. So that I know who owns you. That's right. That's the Robin Williams yes. idea, isn't I, it? I, 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 think, I, I think it was Robin Williams or who. Rule of lobbyists. Yes. yes. I yeah. mean, you must show me, you know, I don't want to see, you know, Ted Cruz or Texas. Right. I want to see Ted Cruz or oil field or, <laughs> 
you know. ExxonMobil. Yes, or I want to see, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, Heineken or mm. whatever, you know, mm. bartender, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to see who is pulling Soros. your strings. Yes. Yeah. D comma Soros. <laughs> yeah. That's all I want to see. Okay. But. I like that idea. I would prefer that there be no money in politics at all, but you know, la, la, la. Well, you lollipops. know. No, I'll be, this is one of the things that I'll be straight up with you. I, I when I run into a problem where my logic is unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to do here. Okay. I don't want to do anything that alters free speech. I don't think that we should mess with Amendment 1 in any shape, form, or fashion. Okay. Free speech is free speech. Right. I mean, this is why I may not like Elon Musk, you know, one way or another, but I do believe that he seems to be a champion for free speech. Yeah, I do like Elon Musk. What, well, what I'm saying is, is that, I mean, I don't Even know. Even if you didn't. No, yeah. I, I don't know what his politics are. I don't, I mean, I, I, I do and I don't. But I mean, I like, I don't know every situation that I would, but I mean. Sure. Would I have a beer with him? Absolutely. Uh, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. Would I like to pick his brain about stuff? Absolutely. You uh-huh. know, this, this would be some, I mean, even people that I don't like, I would still, you know, entertain the idea. Yeah. But what, what I'm saying about Elon Musk is that like, this is not a hero for me. I mean, it's like, I respect the dude. I'm glad that he does what he does. I think it's absolutely stupid of of the way that the man is being treated, but you you can tell that because he's a free speech advocate, this is why this is happening. Yep. But going back to my statement, Supreme Court has ruled money is free speech, and I don't know how to reconcile these two ideas because I agree money is the problem with government. I mean, to give you an example, a senator is in office 312 weeks from the time of their inauguration till the time that their term is over. Okay. They have to earn approximately $70,000 per week to have enough money for a re-election campaign. That's not even a hard-fought re-election campaign. 70000 a week? Yes. Well, no wonder they're well, sucking and, and, up and, and, and the everybody. fact that if, if you have a family of four, the maximum, the, you know, according to the current rules, is the maximum you can donate is $10,000. Right. 2000 for each person and then 2000 as a family. Hmm. Is $10,000 going to get you a senator's attention? Probably not. Nope. But if you're a business person and you donate, you know, a couple of hundred million to their, that's yeah. going to get your attention. Yep. Yep. So I, I, this is one of the things that I don't know what to do. I mean. Is money free speech? Well, I mean, it's the same thing as the corporation, a person. The Supreme Court has also ruled that. And maybe that should be one of our next podcasts is like, let's go over some of the stupidest decisions the Supreme Court has ever made. They've made some dumb ones recently. Uh, don't get me started. Um, yeah, we definitely should do a podcast on the Supreme Court. Definitely. I mean, we can start with Marbury versus Madison, Plessy versus Ferguson, okay. Brown versus Board of Education. Oh, that could to... be really entertaining, I think. I mean, I mean no, I, absolutely. Honestly, it, when it, it comes it... down to it, we're only here to entertain ourselves. I hope that people out there think this is good stuff, but for the most part, I'm doing this because I like it. Uh, honestly, I do this to have a conversation with you about stuff. Okay. Well, cool. I'm so. honored. There's only one thing, there's only one caveat before we close that I want to throw out there. Sure. And I'm not sure you're aware of this or not, but because I spend a great deal of time on YouTube, which I shouldn't, but I do, because it's entertaining to me Mm -hmm. and because of the rabbit trails, man. I've actually seen footage from a security guard location at a, one of those barrier gates Mm -hmm. um, that is pointed directly at the impact site on the Pentagon's facade. Right. And there is a car that comes up to this gate 
The gate opens, the car goes through, the gate goes down, and a couple seconds later, boom! And the Pentagon's on fire. They, meaning people that have found this footage and have analyzed it, um, just normal grassroots folks like you and me, have literally slowed it down so that it is frame by frame. Now it's security footage, and that's never good. In fact, I don't even know why we build security cameras, because no one ever gets caught from a security camera. They're terrible, and the police don't look at them anyway. But all that to say... Frame by frame, it is painfully obvious that this was a missile. Well, I will say this. I, I, I cannot tell you pure statement of fact that I can swear to what hit the Pentagon. I, I, I simply cannot. Yeah. But I can tell you that it was not a 757. Yeah. I'm just saying, um, we, we, the government says we don't have any footage, but there is something on YouTube right now claiming to be footage of the Pentagon and... It testifies to the fact that it was not an airplane. Sure. It was too small. It was, the explosion and everything were all wrong. And you're right. It was literally just feet above the ground. Well, and, and this is the thing is, okay, I, I know several pilots and, you know, I, I love my pilot friends. You know, their arrogance is off the scale on a lot of things. <laughs> but I don't really know too many pilots that could handle a 757 below the treetops. Yeah. And because, you know, the thing is, is, okay, Pentagon's five-story building. Right. That's not very tall. No, I mean, worst case scenario, I mean, we're looking at 65 feet. Okay. The plane itself is 47 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the plane is taller than the building it's hitting? Just about. There should have been debris. Well, there should have been a rip all the way through the building. Darn straight. But it should and, have and done you know to what? the Pentagon what it did to buildings one and two. There should have been parts of that plane because it was going so fast that went through the other side and went into the courtyard and possibly hit the buildings on the other side. Well, and you know something else too. If you do a if you do a good search, you can find a. It's not a blueprint or a a construction document, but you can find a document that shows damage to the internal parts of the building. Yeah, that's marked concrete columns. Well, sure. You know it's a fortified building. Right. But the thing is, is that there are some of the columns that are supposed to be directly in the flight path that are not damaged. This was not hit by an airplane. No. No. Ladies and gentlemen, the Pentagon was not hit by an airplane. We have been lied to. Building 7 did not collapse because of particles that caught it on fire. It had a fire suppression system. There was no impact. And when it did come down, it came down perfectly like it was demoed right after a series of tiny little explosions that you could see through the glass that happened to line up perfectly with the grid of the structure inside the building. Everything about this day was a lie. Make no mistake. So what is the truth? We're being manipulated. Yeah. So in the future, when we talk about the military industrial complex, should we just call it Mickey? Might as well. That old Mick? Yep. That's pretty much it. Will that sound racist? I don't want to say anything against Irish people because I is Irish. Well, I think you can do it then. I can't. Oh. Well, in but, that but case, I think you can. Mickey, Mick, Mick, Mickey, Yeah, Mick. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Well, is that all you got? That's all I got. It's pretty good. Well, it's pretty good. We'll see. Um, we just want to admonish, both of us, Noah and I are in full agreement here. Do your own research. Knowing... That the second you start asking hard questions, you're going to make a list. I I believe that it's in the book of James. No, it's not James. 
Um, it's Hosea. Sorry. It's okay. Hosea. My people perish for lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. Yep. I, don't, I, I just think maybe the populace is too lazy to to ask good questions or to actually even look at the evidence and think, you know what? That doesn't really fit the narrative. Read what you want to read, look up what you want to look up, and then apply Occam's razor to it. That's right. And and choose a side because frankly, um, if you don't, it will be chosen for you. I think uh, Getty Lee said that. Hmm. Even if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. That's right. It's good to see you. You too. And no, um, no word of the day today. No I'm, word of the I'm, day. I'm tapped. Yeah. <laughs> I gave you about 9,000 of them, so. That's right. Go look up, uh, I don't know, conspiracy. <laughs> it actually doesn't mean what you think it means. No, it doesn't. Yeah. A lot of people say conspiracy theory and they think uh, crackpot, wackadoos, talking nonsense. And in reality, what a conspiracy is, is a bunch of people getting together and trying to hide the truth from somebody else. So guess what? All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Yep. Thank you all for the listen. Be blessed. Take care.